Our reading this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, and starting from verse 35, which you'll find on page 1156, if you're using one of the church Bibles. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. And Paul has been talking about the the resurrection of Christ and his appearance to many people. And he's gone on to say that uh, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It says that as, as human beings we're all subject to death, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Let me take up the reading in verse 35 concerning the resurrection body. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death? is your victory where O death is your sting 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Thank you, Philip. We're starting a new sermon series this morning on aspects of humanity, what it means to be human, um, which we'll be looking at the first chapters of Genesis. Genesis is such a foundational book to the whole of our belief. Not only does it help us to formulate answers to issues of um, environment or issues of sexuality, um, it above all helps us to understand God, helps us to appreciate um, both his power but also his love. But of course it would be wrong to preach on Genesis this morning in the abstract, you know, detached from where we are as a church, emotionally and spiritually. You know, we are all reeling from the sad death of much-loved sisters in Christ. And we want to know what God has to say to us in this situation. One of the memory verses that the children learned last week in the holiday club was um, the final verse from the first chapter of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 31 which, referring to the creation of people, says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was a perfect world, and yet because of man's sin, it became a world that was imperfect. A world in which pain and suffering are commonplace. A world in which we will one day face death. And so we're going to start with Genesis 1, but we're then going to move on to 1 Corinthians 15 and try and answer Questions which um, Paul tried to answer as people came to him and said, is it going to get any better? And what we'll be reminded of there is hopefully that both this world in which we live and these physical bodies in which we live are temporary. None of them will last. But we are promised that one day we will receive new bodies which will last forever. And we will live in a new recreated world that will last forever. Let's start by considering the world as God made it, as recorded in Genesis 1, where we see that creation shows the glory of God. And the first thing we notice, if you turn back to Genesis 1, as we read the story of creation, is that the author doesn't appear to be wanting to give us a scientific explanation of how the world was made. After all, it was so important how the world was made that he wouldn't have spent 12 chapters in Genesis talking about the story of one man in particular, Abraham, and just one chapter telling us about the way the whole universe was put together. Now, what he's more interested in telling us about here is something about the person who made it, God. God is mentioned 44 times in this first chapter. Let's just turn to the first few verses here of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness 
he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. This first few verses we learn an awful lot about God. That before anything else there was God. He's not caused by anything but it was he himself who caused everything to come into existence. And look at how he does that. He, he speaks. He simply says, let there be light. And there was light. He's a God of power who causes things to happen at his command. What exactly does he cause to happen in these verses? Well, first of all, time. I mean, the universe was created, and so time was created. Space. He created the heavens. Before, there was nothing there, but now... They are there. He did that out of nothing. How else do you explain where things came from? Mass. The earth was formless and empty. And now it is real. We live on a real planet. The conditions for life. Light, water, an atmosphere. We're not aware that these conditions exist on any other planet. And he fills this earth with plants and trees. It says he creates the sun and the moon. And in verse 16 it says, he also made the stars. And those five words must win the prize for the greatest understatement of all time. He also made the stars. Apparently there are 200 billion stars in our galaxy. There are 100 billion other galaxies The nearest galaxy to us is Andromeda, which is two million light years away. And it says he also made the stars. And yet, on this one tiny planet called Earth, he chooses to create the conditions for life. He fills the waters with fish, the air with birds, and the land with animals. Our appreciation of the world around us is... uh, increased dramatically over the last 40 or so years with improvements in the camera technology. We used just to have wildlife at uh, one. But uh, the latest TV documentaries such as Planet Earth and the recent one called the, the Wonders of the Solar System have allowed us to see parts of the world we never even knew existed. Animal habits that we were never aware of. There's one recently where this guy goes down in a submarine to one kilometre below the surface of the ocean where there's no light, where apparently the pressure is a hundred times the atmosphere on the surface and yet down there there's life. And what these programs show us is that there is an ordered world that is held together by a creative force which means scientists have loads of things to explore. That's what they do. They study the laws of nature so we can better understand the world in which we live. And the more we discover about our earth and the worlds of creatures we never knew about, hopefully the more we will discover about God, the one who made it all. Because Genesis 1 isn't meant to to make us understand how he made the world. It's meant to fill us with praise and admiration for our infinite God. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. But what is most amazing about God's creation is what happens on day six. Having created the earth, the plants, the creatures that fill it, God created people. 
He created people as the, the pinnacle, the, the crowning point of all that he had made. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The whole of creation was made for God's glory and for our enjoyment. And when God looked at people, not only did he see that it, it was good, as it says with everything else here, see that it was very good. Why was he so pleased with people? Why were people given this special responsibility and privilege to enjoy the rest of creation? It was because we were made in the image of God. We'll be looking at that in more detail next week when Jeff uh, focuses on these verses, 26 to 51. But briefly what it means is we were made with an ability to relate. To relate to God, the creator of this vast universe. And what is different about people from everything else that God made is that with people you can have a relationship. Yes, you can have a relationship of sorts, I guess, with your cat or your dog, apparently. Um, but I guess it's not a full relationship in the sense of one that you have with another person. Some may say it may actually be better. But, um, I don't know how many of you know Mark Ashton. He was the pastor of St. Andrew the Great Church in uh, Cambridge. Um, he died three weeks ago, died of, of cancer. Um, but he wrote this article before his death, and it appears in this month's edition of Evangelicals Now. And he wrote, more than all the rich experience of material things on earth, I realise that it is relationships with people that matter most. And it will be leaving people that will hurt most at death. But he carries on, my death may be the event with which my physical life on earth ends, but it will also be the moment at which my relationship with Jesus becomes complete. He says, that relationship with Jesus is the only thing that has made sense of my physical life and of my death it will be everything. Which leads us on to the next point that the best is yet to come. And as we think of God's creation we can't help but think yes it's beautiful but it's also incredibly sad. You know, We could have shown a PowerPoint with just as many pictures of war or famine, of illness of death. And we can't ignore that. We can't pretend that it doesn't exist. You know, Carolyn's death this week has reminded us of our human frailty. It's reminded us of the curse of an illness that kills nearly 8 million people a year worldwide. And we'll look in a couple of weeks' time at Genesis 3 and how the fall has affected man's relationship with God and the whole of creation. But what I'd like to do this morning is also consider for a moment what does that future hold for us? If this God is so powerful and creative, then where is this creation heading? It's a natural question to ask. So let's turn, if we could, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says there in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And he goes on to explain that like Jesus, we will all have resurrection bodies. Of course, that prompts the question, well, what exactly are these bodies going to look like? And the way Paul chooses to answer that question is by first emphasising that it's quite normal for something in God's creation to 
to die before it comes to life again in a different form. An example he takes is that of a seed. He says, you you don't take a beautiful plant, you cut it off and plant it in the ground because it will just die. Now you plant the seed and what comes from the seed miraculously is a new plant. A plant that is similar to the old plant because that's that's where it came from. Our earthly bodies will die. Whether it's after years of debilitating illness or whether it's a young healthy body killed tragically in an accident. We cannot enter the new earth with those bodies but they will be the seed for our new resurrection bodies. And so we, can't expect, so we can expect to retain something of our personality, of our individuality that makes us who we are. We will recognise each other in heaven. After we don't plant tulip bulbs and get daffodils. Unless, of course, like me, you don't really know your bulbs very well. I once planted what I thought were bluebells in a nice wooded area of the garden, which I thought would look lovely, until these tulips popped up, which didn't quite have the same effect I was looking for. The new body will be similar, but it will also be different. God will give us new bodies of his choosing with their own distinctiveness. Look at what it says in verse 39 here. starting in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he is determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men of one kind of flesh, animals of another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. We will all be unique just as we are all unique now in our earthly bodies. There is no limit to the variations that God can choose. Just as there are billions of stars, God is able to arrange an infinite variety in mankind. But the question somebody's asking, Paul, here is someone may ask, well, how will our bodies be different from our present bodies? In what way will they be different? And Paul gives four ways here in verses 42 to 43. He says, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Four big differences. Let's just briefly look at those in turn. It is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. We don't need to be told that our current bodies are perishable, they wear out. They're prone to injury and disease. They don't work as we get older as well as they used to. If you want to challenge Mark to a game of squash now, now I think it's your chance to get to beat him, sitting there with his foot in plaster. But our future bodies will be imperishable. They won't grow old. They won't be subject to decay. They won't die. As it says in Revelation 21, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. What does that mean, to be sown in dishonour? Well, it means that whether you have a lavish state funeral like the President of Poland recently, or whether your body is put in a mass grave as with some of the victims of the earthquake disaster in Haiti, ultimately there is no difference. In death, all the status and riches of this world count for nothing. What counts is whether we put our trust in Jesus Christ. 
Because in that case, we will all be raised to glory to meet our Master and our Saviour. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And I think the reason why death is the last taboo in our society today is that it's a reminder of just how weak and vulnerable that we really are. We like to think we have control of everything, whether it's disease or natural disaster or terrorist threats. But of course we are at the whim of our Creator. The natural body is weak and yet the risen body is full of divine power and we will be able to live forever. And finally, it's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That sounds a bit of like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? You know, surely you either have a spirit or you have a body. How do you have a spiritual body? But one of the things it's trying to say is that whilst every believer has the Holy Spirit living in him, we won't be fully spiritual. We won't fully have the mind of Christ. We won't be fully perfect until we have experienced the resurrection, until we have rid ourselves of our sinful human bodies. And then there'll be no trace of sin left in us. Then we will be fully spiritual. So our new bodies will still be physical bodies, resurrection bodies, but suited to the spiritual life of the world to come. And that is why Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, he said, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. And as it says in that verse, it is Jesus who makes the change possible. It is he who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus makes it possible for us to be raised to life because he himself went through that process. Having died on the cross, he came back to life. He conquered death. And that is why we can say with Paul here, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is how it is possible for us to inherit the kingdom of God. That is how it is possible for all of us to be changed for the dead to be raised, because Jesus has been victorious over death. But you can only share in that victory over death if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. He says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks Martha this question. He says, Martha, do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that you are the one who is to come into the world. And it's only if we believe that Jesus is the one who can change us, who can breathe new life into us through his spirit, that we can look forward to a glorious future with a resurrection body. It's a question we all have to answer. Do you believe this? Well, what if you already do believe that, if you've already made that decision for Jesus? How does this passage help us today? How does the fact that we can look forward to new bodies when we die help us to live 
in the present. We're going to the end of the uh, explanation of Paul here to verse 58. Paul concludes with, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm, he says. There's many ways in which we can lose our footing. Maybe if we're suffering physically, if we feel trapped inside a body that doesn't do what we want it to do, we feel it's not going to get any better. And if you're someone who used to be very active, then I guess that must be even more difficult. But if we have the reassurance that our bodies will get better because one day we will receive new bodies, then that is a tremendous source of encouragement. That in the eternal scheme of things, 10, 20, 30 years of physical pain and hardship may become more bearable. But what if we are a case physically but we're struggling spiritually? You know, we may be worried about our own death. We're beginning to question ourselves whether God can really bring us to life again. Whether he can really give us a new body. It just seems so difficult to believe. And if that is you, I'd say, well, look at the detail of the world around you. Listen to the birds singing. Listen to the bees buzzing. Be filled with wonder at the huge variety and power at work in God's creation. And if he can do all this, then surely he can recreate our bodies. He can give us new bodies. Surely he can recreate the world in which we live and give us a new world to live in. But also, as we've just celebrated at Easter, Jesus is risen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And so we can be confident in his promise to return one day. And what if we're struggling emotionally, as many here are, with bereavement, the loss of someone very dear to us? But if we know they were believers, they, we know they've gone to be with the Lord, we know they've gone to really the best place that they can be. And we can look forward to seeing them again one day in glory. Stand firm. And secondly, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because it says you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And it's when we're confident of the future that we can devote our energies to making the most of the time in this world, knowing that that time is very short. And knowing that we're storing up for ourselves an eternal reward. When you speak to someone who has had a serious illness, it makes them value life much more. It makes them want to not want to waste it. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And yet he also said, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. There was no point for him remaining in this body if he was not going to use that time wisely in the Lord's service. So let me leave you with a question. How much are we making the most of our short time in this world? God has put us in an amazing world. Uh, The wonders of creation are meant for us to praise God. We, as human beings, are the pinnacle of his creation. But the best is yet to come. Death is not the end. Death is but the beginning. We don't know exactly what our new bodies will look like in that new creation, but we do know here that they will be imperishable, they will be glorious, they will be powerful, they will be spiritual. And I hope 
that word this morning may either draw us to Jesus Christ and encourage us to put our faith in him, maybe for the first time, or it may reassure us in our faith if we are worried about our own death or if we are grieving the death of one close to us because death has been swallowed up in victory. So the moment of quiet and then I'll pray.